0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the last special episode of this year's Photokina coverage from Candid FM. Uh, this has been quite, quite, quite the week, if I may say so. I think I've slept an average of five hours a day for the past week. So,
1: yeah, you're a trooper. I,
0: yeah, it's been intense, but I have to say I've, I've had a really, really great time. And today, as the last day that we're dedicating to this to this event we had a lot of stuff to talk about because the the thing about Photokina is that it's so huge that no matter how much time we spend talking about it, it never ends. Yeah, But unfortunately, we have to sort of draw the line somewhere. And this is where we feel like we've done justice to the main events that uh, happened throughout the week, the main announcements that, companies, that the companies made. So let's see how we run things up because there's a lot of stuff here.
1: I think this last episode is going to be us trying to cover some of the odds and ends that didn't get mentioned before. And part of it is um, maybe because these are not announcements that were made for the show, but they were still being shown off there. And part of it might be because, uh, you know, we're we're just catching up now where they were announced a little later. I mean, like Alvaro said, there's just, there's so much to digest that we're undoubtedly going to be circling back and and uh, leaving some more thoughts on, on all of these products um, over the next few weeks. But for now, we just want to give you the, uh, the initial headlining uh, impressions. So today you spent some time with um, more products and uh, hands- on time specifically, which is what uh, you know we're most excited about having you there for because you actually you know, we're just reading about them, but you actually get to be there and and seeing these products and in some cases even trying them. So uh, what did you uh, what did you play with today?
0: Well, today was all about hands-on experience. and I, I, I'm really happy about the things that I saw because they were most most of them were really really nice. I have to say, uh, so first of all, I went to the Olympus stand, and I had a chance to play with the pro lenses. Right. So this is the new
1: twenty-five and the twelve to one hundred, right?
0: Exactly. Both the twelve to one hundred f four and the twenty-five millimeters f one point two, and and I have to say I'm very impressed with them, uh, especially the twelve to one hundred because the twenty-five millimeter. Uh, I think I've mentioned this before in the show. Yeah, I was already expecting. That lens to be exceptional and it is but the 12 to 100 I was a bit skeptical about because it's such a wide range that right yeah I just thought there had to be some flaw somewhere in that lens right but I've actually yeah now I've actually shot with it and I have the raw files to prove it and it really is incredibly good like it's probably the sharpest pro lens that I've ever seen that's unbelievable. Uh, And that's saying a lot. Yeah, that's saying a lot. And you take a picture of 12 millimeters, which is a 24 millimeter equivalent. So it's pretty wide and there's almost no distortion. Then you zoom all the way to 100, which again is like taking you to a 200 millimeter equivalent in in what would be a full frame camera. And typically zoom lenses are weakest at the extreme ends of their focal range, but especially at the long end in terms of sharpness it's pretty challenging to design a lens and keep it sharp all the way to the very longest end of the, of the range. But this lens at two, at 100 millimeters is insanely sharp. Like it just, I took a picture of a, uh, of a wall in the Olympus stand that was covered in framed pictures, black and white pictures, and you can tell the texture of the, of the pictures themselves. And I was standing like fifty meters away. It's it's really you, you have to see it to believe it. I, I haven't I have never seen a zoom lens that sharp. That, that that's the main the main gist of it. And the the another surprising fact about that lens is the image stabilization. Now I tested this with an EM5 Mark II. Right,
1: and it's one of the. It's one of the only bodies that actually allows you to do that synchronized IS thing, right? Because that's actually not available on a whole bunch of the older Olympus bodies.
0: Exactly. So the stabilization in that camera works together with the stabilization in the lens to compensate for up to six point five stops of light, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually <laughs> have I actually have some shots that you can see. Uh, I took uh, the 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 room was fairly poorly lit. Like it, it was, it wasn't a bright room. So you need a, a high ISO or a very, very wide aperture to be able to capture that and not have a uh, motion blur. Unfortunately, I didn't have a fast aperture and I didn't want to raise my ISO so much because then I would get grain and I wouldn't get to see, uh, I would get noise, sorry. And I wouldn't get to see the sharpness of the lens. So what I did was What the hell, I'm setting the ISO to 200, which is the base ISO of Olympus cameras. I'm setting the aperture to F4, which is the widest the lens can go. And I'm just letting the lens and the camera stabilize the rest and see what happens. And what happened was I I got a whole bunch of people moving across the frame, which are just blurry, blurry traces, right? Like very blurry things. But the the wall and the pictures on the wall, which is what I wanted to get sharp are pin sharp. And that tells you how effective the stabilization is and it it, it really is something.
1: I can't even wait to try it because it's so uh, it's such a transformative uh, change to the way that you can shoot with these cameras you know having this this available it's it's something that can't really be replicated on um, a system that does not have stabilization. In both, right? Because the, it, part of it is that, okay, stabilization on its own is great, and we know that. But the fact that they've managed to synchronize the best of lens stabilization with the best of in-body stabilization to get these kinds of results is just mind-boggling. And the fact that you're saying it actually does work as well as advertised means that, uh, yeah, this is this is going to be a bit of a game-changer for people. Especially because the lens is, I mean, it covers almost every practical focal length that people typically want to use, right? I mean, anything, Absolutely. you know, wider than, than 12 is going to be uh, more rarely used. Anything longer than 100 is going to be more rarely used. Like somehow they've managed to create this one canonical lens that does just about everything that you could want it to do. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah,
0: it really is. It really is something special. And we've seen something similar uh, in the Sony system with the 24-240. to 240. Right, yeah but that lens is nowhere near as good optically as this one. So there are lenses that are capable of uh, encompassing that range, but not at this level of quality, which is what sets this lens apart from from every other one that I've tried. And also, uh, let, let's talk a bit about the 25, because that one is, yeah, it's a perhaps a more conventional lens, and, and, and as such, the what we expect to see from it is not as surprising but it is really sharp it is surprisingly more it is more compact than the pictures would have you believe and it is lighter too so it it doesn't add that much bulk Uh, I was worried about that but then when I saw it and I held it in my hands I said this is totally fine I could have it in my bag and not even worry about it
1: huh yeah because I was worried which was about, nice I was worried about the weight factor just given the fact that it, there's so many uh glass elements in there we were talking about this on the on the micro four thirds episode there's there's a lot of different glass parts in there so the fact that they've managed to keep it light is uh is impressive
0: yeah I was concerned about that too but by comparison it is significantly lighter than than the zoom lens like by by a, by a significant margin yeah.
1: So, what body were you testing it on? Like, what I'm, I'm trying to think of it on, like an OMD body versus like the Pen F. Does it balance well on either?
0: Yeah, I was missing the grip uh, of the EM1, for example. Okay. Yep. I only got to test the new lenses with the EM5 Mark II. That's the only camera that they they had uh, the lenses mounted on. Okay. Yeah. They had Pen Fs on display, but they only had the 16, uh, sorry, 17 millimeter f 1.8 prime with them. And then the EM1, uh, they also had a few units on display. The Mark One, by the way, they had a few units on display, but they were attached to the 300 millimeter Pro lens, right? Yeah, and the 40 to 150.
1: Okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense.
0: It's an odd combination because I definitely would have wanted to try the new lenses with the PEN F, which provides the higher resolution sensor. I really cannot understand why they wouldn't do that. It seems like a like a no brainer to me. But anyway, I mean, that's the choice that they made. So it is what it is. In any case, the EM5 Mark II, I think, is good enough to see everything there is to see about the lenses. So
1: Yeah, I mean, it can only get better if if, uh, we we go up with a better sensor. So if it's impressive on the EM5 Mark II sensor, it's going to be outstanding on the Pen F and presumably even more so on the EM1 Mark
0: II. Absolutely. And any flaw that you could see that would reveal itself on the Pen F would also reveal itself on the EM5 Mark II, so it's not like you're hiding flaws by using a lower resolution sensor. So again, it, it doesn't really matter. But I, just for for the peace of mind of knowing that you've tried it with the latest camera, it would have made more sense to to have it on the PenF. But anyway, not really important.
1: I wonder if this is indicative of um, perhaps more primes coming in at the f1.2 speed because i for one and i think you also would would love to see a you know a 17.5 f1.2 right so you could have your your classic 35 mil uh with the same build and optical quality um and and, you know whatever other focal lengths they choose but i i just think that that's um that would be an amazing other part of their lens lineup that they could fill in is is just fast weather sealed primes
0: that seems to be the the path that they're that, that they're walking right now. I mean, they really don't have many other places to go at this point That's because true, they've too. covered every focal length. Yeah. They've covered every format. <laughs> now the speed factor is what's left. And I, I'm very excited about it because this has been a pet peeve of mine with the Micro Four Thirds system for years at this point, which is that the lack of a truly stellar 35 millimeter equivalent lens is something that just drives drives me crazy because it's my favorite focal length and it's the one that I would like to have glued on my camera at all times but such a lens does not exist because the existing uh the closest thing is the 17 millimeter f1.8 and it's a very good lens but it's not it, it it's not good enough it's not at the same level as these pro lenses yeah
1: it's not exceptional it's it's just good
0: exactly it's just good it's it's perfectly adequate but it's not exciting in any way. And and so I, I feel like there's something missing from the system uh, still. And I can't wait for the day that they fill that gap because, well, maybe I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> if they ever do fill that gap, uh, that's going to be a problem for me <laughs> because it's going to, it's going to be tempting for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can just imagine that uh, a PEN F with that, you know, seventeen point five hypothetical F one point two lens would be just an outstanding combination. I can easily see that being a very satisfying everyday camera for you and for me, for that matter. I mean, that that's yeah, same same uh, philosophy.
0: Right. Absolutely. What did you think of the
1: PEN F? Because you, I, I, t- I asked you to go play with it a little bit since I I'm having so much fun with it on my end. What did What did you think of it?
0: You know, I thought you were exaggerating when you, you when you said your famous I can't stop touching line on the show. Yes. But I totally get where you were coming from right? because this it's is not just me. <laughs> yeah. It it the, I mean the dials on that thing they, they beg to be touched like absolutely. Absolutely. They, they just the level of precision it's it's a step above even the AM Mark 2 Mark 2. I mean it really is a lot more precise and, and <laughs> I I thought the color dial thingy was a gimmick but it's just the dial itself is so cute that it 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 almost forces you to play with it.
1: Yeah, like it's this is just this camera has just been it's turned my world upside down in so many ways. I went in thinking certain things about it and now I'm just going, "Oh, I was wrong about that and I was wrong about that."
0: <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I absolutely understand where you're coming from, and boy, I can't tell you, I, I, I envy you on one hand because you've got to you you got to spend some quality time with it, but on the other hand, I'm not sure I would want to spend that much time with it, knowing I cannot own it.
1: Yeah, it might be dangerous.
0: Yeah, it is dangerous, absolutely.
1: But anyway, Olympus was not the only company that you spent time no. with today. You also spent time at some other booths. So tell me about the next one.
0: Well, the next one is the big one. And if you've paid attention all week, there you, you might be a little surprised that we haven't mentioned the biggest name in photography yet, which is of course Canon. Uh, and Canon released uh, a few weeks ago; they announced the next generation of their mainstream professional camera, which is the EOS 5D. And this is the Mark IV, the fourth iteration of that of that series. And uh, this is a very polarizing camera, I, I, I believe, because it's supposed to be everything for everyone, right? I mean, the bar for the 5D could not be higher. Yes. It has to be good at video. It has to be exceptional at photos. It has to be able to capture sports. It has to be good for weddings. It has to be good for everything. And the 5D Mark III was already pretty darn good at all of those things. So how do you improve upon it, right? The obvious choice was... 4K recording, uh, but beyond that, it wasn't very clear what they could do. And when they the, when they announced the Mark IV, I, I read the specs, and I remember you guys. Uh, I wasn't on that episode, but you guys discussed the the announcement yeah. when uh, when it happened a few weeks ago. And yeah, I agreed with everything you said. Uh, and on paper, it might not seem like a very substantial improvement, like a very revolutionary leap because yeah, it's a, a little bit higher resolution. They say the dynamic range is better and I believe them, but uh, beyond that and the 4k recording, which you then figured out was not even that great because it's limited in the quality that you can get out of the HDMI, for example. Yeah. There are some, so that there, there were some hiccups there. So it, it, it didn't really look like a winner on paper but I have to say I actually used it today and I came away very impressed because the, the level of polish in the interface on the on the camera itself in the way that it works is is even better than the 5D Mark III and I have used that camera as well. So I, I have a frame of reference. I'm not just talking for the sake of talking. I have to say I'm really impressed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And especially for their, this is the first time that Canon creates a camera, a full frame camera with a touchscreen. That's right. Yeah. And the level of, and the level of responsiveness of the touchscreen is really amazing. It's like, it's just like an iPhone, like it it instantly responds. There's no delay at all. And, and the, I was worried because the, if you see the menus, they're all text and the text is fairly small. And sometimes you need the touch targets on a, on a touch interface need to be a certain size for you to be able to pick them individually without making mistakes because your fingers are a certain size, of course. And I was worried that the text might be too small for you to be able to select each line clearly and without making mistakes, but it wasn't, it, it worked perfectly. I, I purposely tried to force it to make a mistake and it wouldn't, so I don't know what Canon did. I don't know who they hired to implement the touch interface, but kudos to them because it was a, a great job.
1: Well, they took their time is what they did, right? I mean, that's that's Canon's way of doing things. Like, yes, they probably could have put a touchscreen on the previous generation, but I bet it wouldn't have been as precise or as responsive as it is now. And by the sounds of it, it's it's more so than uh, the touchscreens in competing cameras, which means that they were right in the long term, like that this is the the right way for them to tackle it, because they weren't willing to put it into their flagship camera until they knew that they could really nail it. And I'm perfectly fine with that. You know, that's, uh, that's a good way to approach product development.
0: Right, they are a bit like Apple in that sense that they're not a slave to the market dynamic that every other company needs to be uh, to pay attention to, like they can dictate their own rhythm and release things at their own pace. Yeah, and that's something. It, it is a very significant advantage, absolutely. And the thing is, this uh, th- this camera. One of the things that I like most about using it is how responsive it is. I mean, you take a picture, and if you want to see the the review on on the rear LCD, it's just instant. Everything you do, the camera responds instantly. There's no delay anywhere. Yeah. And it's in stark contrast to most mirrorless cameras that I've used, whether you're just navigating the menus or powering the camera app, uh, you know, turning it on or, or, or off or, or doing all sorts of things. There's always a delay that is, I mean, once you get used to it, it's not very bad. But when you actually use a camera that doesn't have those delays, you realize what you're missing. So there's still a very, a very real difference in terms of responsiveness and in terms of raw speed that cameras like the 5D Mark IV are just a step above, I would say. Is it worth it? I mean, is the difference worth it? Probably not for most people, myself included. I mean, I don't mind waiting two seconds for my camera to turn on. Uh, it's not like I need to take a shot and in my life depends on it. But if you're the type of photographer for whom those things are important, the difference is still there. I mean, there's no yeah. And
1: to, to me, I mean, having seen this firsthand, I get the impression that people who are considering this upgrade are not like they're on their radar. Nothing else really exists, right? Like they're not considering a mirrorless upgrade. They They are stalwart DSLR users. They've been using this family of cameras for 15 years. They've got a huge investment in uh, you know, in lenses, like the the technical financial investment, but also just in the experience of using the cameras, of being familiar with the files, uh, the menu systems, the preferences, things like that. Like to them, it's a sensible upgrade and it doesn't even have to be an immediate upgrade. And I think that's one of Canon's greatest... Um, assets is that they've got this entrenched brand loyalty that works over long spans of time. So I can look at this camera and as a, as a Canon shooter, if, you know, if I was a Canon wedding photographer or something, I could be like, yeah, I'm going to upgrade to that camera. I don't have to do it this year. I don't have to do it next year, but I know that whenever it is opportune for me to do so, I have a very strong, capable, predictable update available to me and all of my existing investment in the system will continue to work for me uh, with that upgrade. And I think the, the only people who are frustrated by it are actually the video folks. I don't think that anyone on the photography side is actually disappointed because um, while you could you know, be unrealistic and say that, oh, they should have pushed further and they, they could have been more innovative and stuff like that, uh, like we just you know covered, Canon is not that kind of company. That's not really their thing. So... I, I for one, was not expecting um, tremendous leaps forward on the photography side of things. This is the kind of product that they are in the refinement stages of. It is almost perfect in every way. So all they're doing is tweaking it and making adjustments and making sensible improvements where it matters. What's frustrating is that um, now that they have kind of bolstered their their, uh, video-facing products in the C100s and the C300s and things like that, Um, It feels a lot like they have purposefully crippled the video capabilities of the 5D Mark IV to encourage people to, uh, you know, rather than being able to have one camera that very competently handles both video and photography at a professional level, they, they seem to want people, they're basically drawing a line in the sand and they're saying, look, if your videography requires features that are more advanced than where we've drawn this line, we need you to pay another few thousand dollars to go up to our dedicated video cameras, which admittedly are a lot better. Like that, you know, a C100 or a C300 is a lot better than shooting video on um, on a 5D series camera. It, it is, but it's also prohibitively expensive for a lot of indie videographers, which is why they were so delighted to discover, you know, that the Canon 5D Mark II was such an amazing video camera. And it just, I think that's where the frustration lies is they were kind of hoping that they would, be able to continue getting away with that right like cheating the system a little bit and getting more bang for their buck without having to buy a dedicated video camera from canon and i understand that frustration i kind of share it um but on the other hand it is also reasonable for them to want to uh, keep their product lineup um diversified and sort of well
0: segmented yeah that that makes sense i i don't know that i would agree necessarily because that's a company being entitled. It is, it is. Uh, and and that works until it doesn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Until a company comes along and releases a camera that is not only a fantastic uh, photography camera, but also a remarkable video camera. And then they eat their lunch. Uh, and Canon is sort of, of course, it's it's a giant and they, uh, they have a privileged position, so they're not at risk uh, of imminent danger. But anyway, they're... They're making the choice not to take this opportunity to cannibalize their own products, which is something that, for example, Apple, who is another company that enjoys a dominant position in a very competitive market,
1: yeah, they've never true.
0: been shy about that. They've been saying, if we don't do it, somebody else is going to, so we might as well do it ourselves. And that's the difference, and that's why people consider Apple an innovative company, but I don't know that many people would say the same thing about Canon. No, but
1: I think they're okay with that. I mean, I think they've proven over time that they really do not give a damn about being called boring and slow and things like that. And, you know, it works for them. Like, yeah, no, To absolutely. be honest, we can complain about it, but the reality is that so far no one has eaten their lunch, right? No one, no one has actually put out uh, some sort of camera that is cannibalizing 5D sales because that thing still sells like hotcakes. It is not the most technically advanced. It is not the most whatever but it is amazing at almost everything. So people buy it. Like it's, you know.
0: And they will buy the Mark IV because it is still amazing at almost everything.
1: Exactly, exactly. And like we were saying on the the announcement episode, for a lot of people who are buying it, it's not a first purchase. So they're not looking at the cost as like the full $4,000 or however much it is now. It's like... I'm selling one of my 5D Mark III bodies to fund the purchase of this new one, in which case you're only paying the difference. And then suddenly it's a much more, uh, you know, easy to justify upgrade.
0: And that makes sense. But how big of a percentage would you say that lock-in factor is? Like how many people are buying the Mark IV because they own a bunch of L lenses and the investment that it would take or the effort it would take to sell all of those and change to another system and choose a different manufacturer and all of... That pain that goes with it. I mean, many purchases are generated because of fidelity, because you, like you said, you're a canon shooter, and no matter what they release next, you know you're going to buy it because that's the system you chose ten years ago, and you're just sticking to it. How how many of the current sales are due to that factor, and how many of them are first time? consumers choosing Canon because they genuinely believe it's the best brand
1: that is the uh, that is the big question. and I think that for now, Canon still has the advantage of a very, very powerful mind share because in the consumer space, not so much in in the kind of circles that that we uh, live in where we're aware of mirrorless technology, we're aware of the actual quality of all these other companies and the products that they put out. I think there's a prevailing notion for most people that if you're going to get into photography seriously, first of all, you're going to buy a DSLR. And second of all, it's going to be either Canon or Nikon and probably Canon because
0: most of your friends probably have Canon, right? And the thing is, I am guilty of that myself in other areas. I keep coming back to the Apple example, and maybe it's not a good one. But to me, it's very, very revealing because I think I've admitted to to this much on the show before. uh, Google or Samsung or wh- whatever company could release the best phone ever in the world, but as long as it runs Android, yeah, I'm not even going to look at it seriously. So that's I realize that's a blind spot of mine, and it's not really rational, and it's not in my best interest because as a consumer, I should just keep an open mind because if somebody else comes along with a better product, then. I'm being an idiot if I don't give it a chance, basically. But that's the mindset that Canon users seem to have as well, and I don't know why. But I, I, uh, it's like I realize it doesn't make sense for me to do that, and in, in the same way that it doesn't make sense for them to do the same. You know what I'm talking about? And and the thing is, there's a very good example. That happened to me today, and this is the next item that I was hoping to discuss on this episode, which is the, the new mirrorless camera that Canon released about a week ago, it was, which is the EOS M5. And I think it's fair to say this is the first serious attempt by Canon at creating a good mirrorless camera.
1: Well, yeah.
0: And I was at the—yeah, uh, the, because there, there have been others before, but they were sort of uh, not very good. And this one, at least on the spec sheet, seems like a, like a reasonable, uh, like a reasonable camera. The thing is I was at the booth where all the cameras were there and they had both 5D Mark fours and M fives at the same desk where people would go and pick one up and play with it for a while and then switch and pick the other and whatever. And it was eye opening to see all those Canon shooters looking at the M5 and marveling at the thing that they were holding in their hands, like, can you believe how small it is? <laughs> and it doesn't have a mirror. And look, you can touch the screen. Yeah. And it has Wi-Fi. And, it, you know, all these features that, as Mirror Alert users, we take for granted since five years ago. And for them, they were completely, it, it was like they were looking at a unicorn. Yeah. And, and I... And that's the blind spot that I was talking about earlier. It's that they haven't even stopped to think anything that isn't canon. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they they never even bothered considering it.
1: Yeah, and honestly, this is what I was going to say um, to to your earlier point about the uh, like the Android Apple comparison and and this kind of blind spot. The reason that it's even more complicated in the context of photography is that for a lot of these people, unlike a phone, the camera is also their primary work tool. So there's, there's an additional set of nuance to that decision-making process and that particular blind spot, because it's not just uh, sort of a a small part of their lives that they would be switching. It's not so much that, oh, I, uh, you know, it's such a hassle to sell these lenses or whatever. It's just, an entire workflow, an entire professional system has been built around a certain set of tools, and changing those tools is very difficult. Like, it's it's extremely challenging for any mirrorless manufacturer, regardless of the sophistication of their technology, to convince a DSLR user to move away from their system, right? Even if on on paper it seems like everything is superior, which in most cases, you know, it it is. Yeah. Uh, it's it's still tremendously difficult and it's not because of the technology it's because of the other aspects of it and i'm not at all surprised about this this anecdote of of those poor canon dslr users discovering the joys of mirrorless in the m5
0: yeah to me it was a revelation like I, I it was like looking you know have you seen 2001 the the movie by stanley kubrick of course yeah It was like the scene at the beginning with the apes and the monolith. (laughs) That's the the first thing that came to mind when I saw them. It it was really that extreme.
1: Yeah. But you see, that's the funny thing is that Canon knows that, right? I mean, they've got all of this market perspective that we cannot bring to bear on this discussion. And they know that they have thousands and thousands of photographers in that exact position. And they can put out whatever piece of crap they want that's mirrorless. And it's still going to seem like a miracle to these people because they really just are not as aware of the broader market. And and it's not so much that they're not aware, it's, it's also that they're not willing to be aware. They're not curious about the broader market. They don't really care that other companies are doing stuff because they're Canon users. So until Canon does it, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, and that's unfortunate, but well, I mean, what can you say? If they're happy, uh, whatever works, right?
1: That's just it. That's just it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And for what it's worth, the M5 is actually a pretty nice camera. I mean, I've been guilty. I'm guilty of ridiculing it a little bit when I first saw it because on paper and when you see the pictures, it looks just bad. God, it's an ugly camera. It's so ugly. But but it's actually not. I mean, when you see it in person, it actually looks pretty good. It's sort of like a tiny 5D. I'll
1: take your word for it. You know what I mean? I mean,
0: (laughs) I, I, I was surprised. I was expecting to hate it. Absolutely hate it. I went in like singing, thinking oh, God, this is going to be horrible, but I have to use it for a while at least so I can talk about it on the show. Right. But then when I actually picked it up, it was pretty good. It has a sort of a titanium-like color and and it feels nice. The only problem I have with it as a physical object is that it's just too small. It is too small. They they. It's like Canon thought, people like mirrorless because it's small. So we're going to make a really tiny camera. And it's just too tiny
1: <laughs> because... So they didn't make affordances for like, uh, you know, making the grip work on a smaller body and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I figured that might be the
0: case. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the problem. I mean, you go through the spec sheets and this thing is very compelling. It has a 24 megapixel sensor. It has a very good viewfinder. It has... Uh, the, the burst rate is pretty good because it can shoot up to 9 frames per second if you lock the focus. It has Wi-Fi. It even has the dual the dual pixel AF, which is pretty good for a mirrorless camera and, and and it works very well.
1: Yeah. I love that technology. That's so cool.
0: One feature that the dual pixel enables is that if you use an adapter, it can, you can use existing Canon EF lenses, you know, the full frame glass for the Canon system. And it works just as, just as if it was, uh, you know, on a native body. Like the, the AF performance is pretty good with, with full frame lenses. It's not. It's nothing like the Metabones adapter on a Sony camera, for example, because in that case, you have a, a company, which is Metabones, who makes the adapter. You have th- that company sort of figuring out Canon's AF algorithms by reverse engineering them. And so it's sort of a hack.
1: Yeah, here it's native.
0: Yeah, this is 100% native Canon autofocus and it performs as such. And in fact, for the first two or three months, uh, the camera, the, the the M5 is going to be Available for sale, it's going to come with the adapter bundled as a kit.
1: Which, by the way, is a genius move.
0: This is absolutely targeted to existing Canon shooters, and they are assuming that those shooters own several lenses, uh, you know, full frame lenses or APS C uh, DSLR lenses, because the adapter works with both. And I tried it with two of those lenses, for example. I tried it with a 35mm F1.4, the, the version 2, which was released a few months ago. Uh, so it's, I think it's the latest L prime. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so I figured if it works well with this one, that's a very good sign of where the system is going, right?
1: Yeah, that, that should be the benchmark.
0: And it was flawless. It was, the, the autofocus was fantastic. It, it instantly achieved focus. It tracked well. It worked, it worked. I mean, I have absolutely no complaints about that. My problem is that ergonomically it was a mess, because you have a huge lens, the adapter on top of that, and then a really tiny body with absolutely no grip. So you cannot really handle it anyway, and and it was it was just painful to use. And this is, it's it, it, it's too bad because they were really close. Had they make the, the exact same camera, just a little bit bigger, and with perhaps. Uh, a slightly bigger a slightly deeper grip and they really might have something here.
1: Yeah, and and to be f- like I I think they have something regardless because the simple fact that a Canon user can make use of all of their existing lenses and also have a small um you know travel body or whatever they want to use it for, uh that's that's a huge selling point. Like that's uh, that's enough to sell a lot of these things and i you know i'm i'm kind of skeptical and being snarky about it because i i i very clearly remember every single one of the uh press releases from the previous M series cameras and all of them are being like oh yeah canon is finally taking mirrorless seriously this time yeah. they're taking mirrorless <laughs> seriously right like that's the the headlines have said that like for for every single one of them i do agree with you that this time it actually seems to be the case i mean they've they've packed a lot of their best technology into this camera which they didn't do previously like previously it was it was kind of a Uh, a last generation's technology in a smaller body. And, you know, let's just say that we made mirrorless. But here they're actually saying, okay, no, we're taking the stuff that you get in our top flight DSLR, like consumer DSLR cameras. And, um, you know, all, all of this actual new good technology the best that we can do and yes, we're going to put it into a smaller body and yes, maybe we don't know quite that well how to deal with the smaller body in terms of ergonomics because we haven't really built cameras on this scale before but if that's the only problem that's easily fixable and I think that a lot of the target market for this camera which as we've established is basically Canon shooters uh, DSLR shooters I think they're going to be more than willing to forgive um, any sort of ergonomic shortcomings, because to them, the simple fact that this camera doesn't weigh as much is going to be a revelation. And the fact that they get to use all their lenses is going to be a huge bonus over any of the other mirrorless systems that they might be considering. So, And not
0: just that, uh, for any shooter that comes from anything other than the 5D Mark IV, they get a whole bunch of new interesting features that are new for them, true, like the yeah. Wi-Fi, the touchscreen, all of that. I mean, if you come from a 5D Mark IV, the jump is smaller. But from any other canon camera and you're in for a treat absolutely yeah, yeah. so anyway that was Canon at photokina uh, for those of you who are interested in what they do and the, the cameras that they release and the things that they're that they're promoting right now, I have to say I was pleasantly surprised uh, but that was not the only thing that I got to see today because like I said it's been a pretty long day yep. <laughs> I'd like to start by briefly uh, mentioning something that I saw not today, but the other day. Uh, it's just something that we forgot to discuss on the show, but I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, and it's about Sigma. And Sigma, if you're if you're familiar with them, these is a company that has traditionally made affordable lenses for Canon and Nikon. Uh, they do have their own mount, so they 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 also release lenses in their own proprietary mount. But it's basically, they have the same lens in a bunch of different mounts. They do Canon, they do Nikon, they do Sigma, they do Sony, and sometimes they even do Pentax.
1: Not so much anymore. I think they've stated on the record that they're not doing Pentax anymore. But yeah, still, I think they they, they make, like you said, the same glass, but different mount options, which is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. And the, the thing is that traditionally, people thought that Sigma and Tamron, which is another company that does something similar, uh, they were sort of seeing like a poor man's alternative to the first-party lenses. Like if you couldn't afford the Canon lens, you would buy a Sigma, for example. However, uh, in recent years, Sigma has completely redesigned their strategy and they have been releasing truly exceptional glass. And the ART series is a collection of primes and zoom lenses, but especially primes uh, that they've been releasing for a few years now. And they give every Canon lens a run for their money. Like it is the level of optical quality that they've managed to achieve with these lenses is impressive. It really is. And the best thing is that they are still considerably more affordable than the equivalent Canon uh, counterparts. So that's something that many people are uh, are, are jumping uh, on board. And with good reason, right? I mean... Yeah, why wouldn't you? (laughs) The build quality is exceptional. The image quality is great. The only reason why somebody would perhaps not consider going with a Sigma lens is because there's a little bit going on. It's the same as the adapter thing that we were discussing earlier with the Sony. Sigma doesn't officially license Canon's autofocus system. Instead, they have engineered their own solution that just happens to work with Canon cameras. So there's no guarantee that if Canon releases a new camera two years from now, your existing Sigma lenses are going to work with it. At this point, with over 20 years of the EF mount, if Sigma releases a lens, I mean, chances are very, very good that it's just going to continue working, but there's not an official guarantee. The good thing about the art lenses is that they're all firmware updatable, so you can upgrade them at some point if they stop working. And so I wouldn't be too concerned about that. But anyway, the point is that Sigma is releasing some really good glass. And up until now, their their art prime lineup was very, very complete, especially at the wide end. But there was a lens missing that many people were asking for, which was the 85 millimeter prime. Uh, And the art primes are all f1.4. So these are really wide aperture primes. The problem is that Sigma has an existing 85mm f1.4 prime that is already very good. So maybe they didn't feel the pressure to release the art version of that lens uh, that much. But they have, Uh, they they announced it at Photokina uh, at the the beginning of the week. And just so you know how big Photokina is, it took me two full days to realize that there was a new art prime. (laughs) (laughs) I, I actually walked to the Sigma Uh, Stan just thinking, "Ah, let's take a look at the hard primes. And then I saw the 85 prime and I was like, what?
1: Where did that come from?
0: Yeah, where did that come from? I didn't hear about that. And I had a chance to play with it. Unfortunately, even though the lens is already final, the firmware isn't. So this has been a very common occurrence throughout Photokina. I I wasn't allowed to put my memory card in the camera and take the pictures with me. Uh, But as far as autofocus performance goes, I was impressed, uh, being an 85mm f1.4, there's a ton of glass in there and it is a very big and heavy lens and moving all that glass quickly and precisely is not easy. But the lens did an exceptional job, like much, much faster than, for example, the equivalent Sony lens, the 85mm G Master. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like maybe not quite an order of magnitude faster, but easily twice as fast. Wow. Yeah, there's it's like night and day. As far as image quality is concerned, I cannot really go into too many details because like I said, I, I didn't have a chance to really inspect the files. They, they looked okay in the rear LCD of the camera, uh, but that's not really a, a very valid analysis. So let's just say that I expect it to be very good, uh, it just in line with the rest of the Art Primes, which are all really, really good.
1: Yeah, all the reviews of the Art Primes that I've read have been generally overwhelmingly positive about them, from you know from optical and also ergonomic standpoints. So I would fully expect that this is in uh, is in line with that. And like you said, I think that because they had an existing lens in this focal range that was. Um, that was good. They probably didn't want to rush because they wanted to wait until they had something that they could meaningfully improve upon um, before releasing it. So it's it's good that they've that they've done that. Um, I'm just honestly, I'm really happy to see these, um, I guess, third party lens focused companies finally seeing some success because I I can remember um, you know when I was still shooting Canon at the time there was this prevailing stigma against. Third-party lenses, and a lot of it is, I, I guess, rooted in brand loyalty um, and the notion that, you know, inevitably the third-party lenses are going to be worse than their first-party um, equivalents. Yeah. And more and more, that's not the case, but um, that's been true for a while now. I think what what's changing is that people are finally beginning to be a little more open-minded towards uh, looking at the Sigma and Tamron equivalents of lenses sort of on an equal footing because now that they've seen reviews that they've begun to try them out they're starting to realize that you know it's not just the first party companies that are good at making lenses and uh it, it's it's good for everybody really because the pressure that something like a sigma art lens exerts on canon's first party lenses means that canon is that much more incentivized to make even better L lenses going forward, right? And and new generations of L lenses and things like that. So it's good for the market as a whole.
0: Yeah. And they've been doing that. They've been doing that in the past because for example, the 35 millimeter L lens, uh, it's a, one of the oldest, the original, was one of the oldest L lenses that were still being made. And just this year they released the version two. And I think a very significant part of why now they decided it was time to update that lens is because the 35 millimeter art was seriously eating into cells of the L lens, the Canon L lens. Because it's much better, so why wouldn't yeah, it? it's much better and it costs half as much. So Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not like the price difference is slight. It, it was literally half as much. Yeah. So at least now Canon can legitimately say that, well, not 100% objectively, but they can say that their new lens is better than the art because the aberrations are a little bit better corrected. Uh, there's no chromatic aberration, there's no distortion, and it's just a sharp. So they can technically say, We have the best lens. So you're going to have probably still twice as yeah, expensive. Yeah, you're going to have to pay a $1,000 more for it, but we have the best lens, which is the Canon way. That's fine. It, it, it's yeah. always been <laughs> that way. And yep. if you take the 85 millimeter uh, format as a reference, this new Sigma Art Prime is supposed to be uh, sold for 1,299 euros or the equivalent in US dollars or Canadian dollars when it's when it's released it's coming in in the following months but even though that's a very expensive lens it's still a bargain compared with the over $2000 that the Canon 85mm of one2 lens has been sold for for 5 years or more sure yeah so there's a very significant price gap and there's not a corresponding optical quality gap uh, to match and that's just unfortunate. And speaking of, I mean, up until precisely this Photokina, the 85mm Canon was the only f1.2 lens. So they had that bragging right too, but now they don't anymore because Samyang has announced an 85mm f1.2 prime as well. Nice. And this is part of their new premium uh, prime premium range of lenses. And I've seen what Samyang lenses are capable of in the past. And when they really nail a lens, they have nothing to to I mean Canon has nothing on them. These are also significantly more affordable. So I I haven't been able to test the new 85 because this is a pre-production pre-production model and they wouldn't let anyone touch them. Uh, you couldn't even mount it on the camera now. They are behind a, a glass thingy. So it's just an announcement, but you have, we haven't yet been able to actually see what the lens is capable of, but I wouldn't be surprised if it turned out to be even better than the, than the Canon. So yeah, it's interesting times, definitely for third-party lens manufacturers. Uh, I also got a chance at the Samyang stand to play with one of the lenses that I had been dying to try for quite some time, which is the 135mm F2. This is by all accounts, by all accounts, the best bargain in photography right now. How much is it going for? I actually don't know the price on that. It's $500.
1: Really? Oh, boy. Yeah,
0: it's literally half the cost of the Canon L lens and a fourth of the cost of the lens that is considered the best, absolute best, in that focal length, which is the size APO. That's, that lens is $2,000. And the Canon is over $1,000. is. This is $500. Hmm. <laughs> and performance-wise... It is just as good as the size. I mean, maybe there's a tiny little bit in terms of chromatic aberration or something like that, but sharpness wise, -wise, bokeh wise and distortion wise, it is every bit as good.
1: Yeah, and something like aberration is pretty easily corrected in post. So if you can save $1,500 and get the rest of the optical quality,
0: that's a hell of a bargain, you're right. Right, and at least the Canon has autofocus, but the ZEISS is also a manual lens. So you don't even get that advantage, right?
1: I love that Canon lens, though. I have to say, I've got a soft spot for that 135L. It's just magical.
0: I was confused because I, I always read that the Canon 135 was considered the sharpest of the L lenses. Like, I've even seen places on the internet with, where they call it the Lord of the Rings, you know, because of the red rings that all L lenses have. That's clever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and this is supposed to be the, the super sharpest, bestest one of all of them. But when you see a comparison with the Samyang, the Canon lens takes a beating. Like, really, there's a really significant difference between the two.
1: I can't say that surprises me. I mean, I I, I do love the Canon 135, but it's not for sharpness. I think it's just the overall... Way that it renders images, uh, it was very pleasing. I've, I've rented it several times just because it's it's fun to use. Uh, I never owned one, but um, yeah, I, I can. I mean, it depends on what you're comparing it against as well, right? Like, there's sharp sharpness is uh, is one of those things where uh, it, it's it's easy to be impressed, and uh, if you don't have a particularly broad lens experience catalog, then it might be. Yeah, I, I can see that being the case. Either way, the the important thing is that Sam Yang is, uh, I guess, by all accounts. Beaten not only Canon but also Zeiss at their own game, which is uh, which is quite an achievement.
0: And speaking of Zeiss and and also Sony, they have recently announced a fifty five uh, sorry a fifty millimeter f one point four lens, which has autofocus, and that was the first autofocus lens that they ever released. And I also got to try that today. Like I said, I've been pretty busy, <laughs> and I I have to say this I wasn't really impressed with like it was good, I guess, but the autofocus was slow. It, it hunted a lot. And I don't, I, I didn't feel like it was anything special in terms of image quality either. So I guess Josh, you can't- Josh will be relieved. Yeah. I guess you can't win them all. Uh, but in any case, the fact that they're, you know, that they're daring to go to the autofocus, uh, part of the game, uh, is also, uh, a good sign, I would say, because up until now they had been sticking to manual lenses, that's what they know how to do, and they they do it really well. But it's, it's great to see that they're trying new things and they're trying to evolve. And if they nail the autofocus system and they manage to create a lens that is just as good optically as what they've been able to do with their manual ones, uh, they're going to be a serious player.
1: It always uh, struck me as strange that they haven't yet tackled autofocus in earnest because I mean, it's, it's an obvious gap and I feel like they do have the technical know-how to do it. So uh, yeah, who knows?
0: Yeah. Who knows? I think it's most of it is because of licensing deals because Canon and Nikon, they all, they, 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 they don't license their autofocus technology to anyone. Sony famously only licenses it to size. Yeah. So every other company that wants to make autofocus lenses has to sort of fight their own, fight their way through. Until they have a viable, viable system. Yeah, that is an impediment. And, yeah, and that I would imagine that makes the work a lot more difficult. Yeah. So yeah, but anyway, they're trying and they're they're on their way. And uh, for a first attempt, it wasn't terrible. It was decent. So I have high hopes for them. Absolutely. And then finally, I got to go uh, to one of my favorite stands ever at Photokina. And I don't know why it's taking me so long, which is the size stand. I I think these are, size is my favorite uh, camera manufacturer, uh, well, lens manufacturer. They used to make cameras, but they don't anymore. And and the, their stand was really impressive because they have a massive uh, mock-up of an Odus lens. Okay. It's so big that you can actually walk inside. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I'll try to post some pictures to Twitter later. So if you guys... Uh, want to see what I'm talking about, just go to my Twitter account and, and you'll be able to check it out. But it's it's really good because it's a very, very, very big lens and you can walk in walk inside and they have an exhibit, uh, you know, with the history of size lenses and why they are special optically and all of that, you know, the coatings, the optical designs and all of that. And it was pretty cool. And then of course they had every one of the lenses they make for every one of the mount of the mounts they work with. So you could test and try whatever you wanted. And I had a chance to test all of the ODU's lenses in a Canon version. And those are like, those are grenades. (laughs) Those are just ridiculously big, heavy and clunky, but man, they are impressive. Yeah. I've only ever just held
1: one in a store and it struck me as, uh, as as massive. Yeah. That was, that was definitely my,
0: my main impression of it. And it's, And they seem to go against the trend that the longer the focal length, the bigger the lens. This is the other way around because the 28 millimeter Otis, which is the newest one, is the bigger of the three. And when I saw it, I I almost couldn't believe how big it was. But anyway, that's the price of having virtually perfect glass, I think, because there's really nothing else that comes even close to the Otis. Not even the Leica M lens. Yeah,
1: and I guess that's that's always been Zeiss's... uh, mandate is to just push optical quality above all else. They're willing to sacrifice on size and weight and, you know, whatever it takes for, for the kinds of photographers who are willing to carry, you know, a, a tank with them if it means that they are getting the absolute best optical quality out of their system that is possible. And that's that's fair. I mean, someone's got to be doing that.
0: So anyway, coming down to a more terminal level more, <laughs> more uh, for mere mortals, uh, there's the, of course, for the Sony shooters like myself, size makes two different lines of lenses. One is manual focus only, which are the Loxia, And then they have the autofocus line, which are the baddies. And I had never shot with any of those lenses before, uh, before this week. And today I got a chance to change that. Uh, so I got my hands on two of the Loxia lenses, the 35mm F2, because that's just a lens that I had been dying to shoot with. And I have to say, I loved it. I loved it. I had seen mixed reviews about it, especially concerning its bokeh, like that people used to say that it wasn't a very smooth bokeh, that it was a bit nervous. I didn't really notice that. So I guess this is one of the times where I have to thank my lucky stars that I'm not particularly sensitive about bokeh nervousness or whatever. Was it a cat's eye shape? Though? I didn't get to see any highlights in the, in the background. So I couldn't really say, oh. but they, they looked a little bit more like dog eyeballs. If, if that makes sense. If only we had our bokeh
1: expert. Oh.
0: <laughs> if only, if only, but anyway, the big, the big novelty at Photokina was not the 35 Loxia. It was of course the 85 Loxia, which is an f2.4 lens. And the, the really special thing about the Luxia is is that they all have the exact same uh, diameter. They have the exact same diameter of the E-mount. So they come out straight from the lens mount. They are gorgeous. They look fantastic on the camera, but that's not only an aesthetic choice. It's also a functional one because the Luxias are, of course, being manual lenses. They are optimized for video recording. Size even has a set of rings for focus racking with them. And they all—the fact that they all have the same diameter means they are all compatible with that focus racking setup.
1: Yeah, because a lot of times you're doing focus with a like a focus puller. It's not exactly. Yeah. And size is
0: pushing I mean, that yeah. aspect very heavily. And I was uh, curious to see what they would do when they inevitably released a longer lens, because usually longer lenses are again wider and and they're they're bigger. I wasn't aware that you could have an 85 millimeter lens that was this thin actually. But apparently you you can, because they have done just that. And being an f2.4, I mean, it's not revolutionary in terms of maximum aperture, but it's not bad.
1: Well, I think that's the trade-off, right? I think that if you're going for a longer, like a telephoto focal length, if you want it to be fast, it has to be broader. Like it's got to be a wider thing just because of the way that they make the lenses. But here Zeiss was trying to hit a different target, like you said, it was, it was trying to maintain the, uh, the diameter. So in their case, that was, you know, something's got to give. And in this case, it was probably, um, And aperture. for what
0: it's worth, I think it was absolutely worth it because you see the the Loxia lineup when you see them all together. I mean, I'm not a manual focus shooter. But these lenses make me want to. Are you tempted by the 35?
1: Because that's that's your focal length, right? So is that... I'm tempted by all of them. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If I could, because not, not, not just for everyday shooting, but for travel purposes, you have a killer kit. You have a killer lens lineup and and they are all really small. They don't take up any space. They are heavy though, because these are full metal lenses. Uh, not just outer shell metal. These are entirely metal. So they are heavy. Uh, but But... They are just so well made that that, it's worth it. Uh, and, and they made me very jealous, absolutely. Uh, but anyway, I mean, you have to make a choice. And at the end of the day, having out of focus for me, I'm not a videographer. So having out of focus still gives me more to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Than the nice build quality that is, yeah, it's nice to have, but it's not uh, something you, you get to see on the images, right? What about the baddest? Well, the baddest are a very. A very interesting line because they are almost like the opposite of the Loxias. They are bigger, but they are also lighter. Hard as that, that may be to believe, because these are the shell is the outer shell is made of metal, but the inter the, the internal components are mostly plastic. So the overall weight of the lens is very light. You see them and you see the size and you imagine them to be a lot heavier, but when you pick them up, they are surprisingly light. And yeah, and I had, uh, for me, that's been also a discovery because I had never shot with any of them. Today, I got to to shoot with all three of them, the 18, the 25, and the 85. And, uh, well, my, my baby is, of course, the 85 because I just, I'm drawn to that portrait range. Uh, like I said before, I'm not really a huge wide-angle photographer, so the 25 is nice and the 18, I imagine, is nice too, but they're not lenses that draw my attention in the way that the 85 does yeah that's fair and during the week i mean i've struggled with the choice between the 85 bodies and the 85 g master from sony Uh, and you guys if you listen to the show you know it well and i'm not the only one because josh is having the same struggle as well uh and to me it's been a revelation because the sony lens yes it's it's it looks more pro, it's faster, it has an aperture ring, it's heavier, it's bigger. Uh, it is not sharper for one. The bodies is the sharper lens of the two in the focal range where they overlap. The the thing is that the G Master goes to F one point four and the bodies doesn't, so if you need the speed, the the Sony is your only choice. But otherwise the bodies is sharper. And in terms of autofocus speed, there's just no comparison. The body smokes the Sony absolutely. And it's a problem because I was taking pictures with both lenses. It was inside a, a sort of well lit room, uh, but it wasn't natural light. It wasn't outside and uh, uh, outdoors. Okay. So there wasn't really that much light to work with, but it was enough that the autofocus system should work well. Mm-hmm. And with the G Master, I wasn't able to capture people's eyes in focus, and these were people that were just there minding their own business. They weren't posing for me or anything. Uh, I would imagine in a studio setup where you ha- where you can actually direct the model to stay still, uh, it wouldn't be a problem. But in a in, in an everyday situation, I wouldn't say that the G Master is a lens I would be able to use because you. Even with the face detection on, even with the eye out of focus that Sony cameras have, I just didn't manage to nail the eye in focus the way I wanted to because the lens was just a tad too slow.
1: I'm guessing this was both, uh, like both of these tests were with the A7R Mark II,
0: right? Yes, which is supposed to be the best focusing A7 camera.
1: Yeah, like that's that's really genuinely surprising to me because if anything, I'd expect that the native sony g master lens would be the one that performs best well, for that the, system like that that's the intuitive yeah, that
0: would make sense, but the the thing is an eighty five f one four has a ton more glass than an eighty five f one eight and it's heavier, it's larger, and to move all those optical elements so precisely, it's not easy, and that's where you get to see the difference. the bodies is impressively mm. snappy, sure uh, like the of focus of the bodies is a lot faster than the Canon 85-1.8, and I've used that lens too. It's just remarkably fast for, for a portrait prime. So in I- other
1: words, your takeaway is that if you are debating between the two, um, the, the baddest is, is definitely the more practical in more situations, whereas the GM might be more appropriate, but only in certain kinds of more controlled shooting environments.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, that's about a perfect summary. If you're shooting in a studio with control lighting, you can tell your model to stay still. The G-Master is amazing. But if you want a lens you can actually shoot with in the real world, I would go for the baddest. There absolutely. you go. Uh, and that's about it in terms of hardware, in terms of actual things you can touch. But there's more about Photokina, of course. This is not just a photography gear event. It's also a very important Photography as an art form, as a even as a history record, photography has been there for decades, and it's part of it's how we remember things that happened for many many years, and that that was a big part today as well. I had a chance to walk uh, around the Leica exhibit. They have an exhibit that's called Masters of Photography, and they've created a selection of photographers that I'm assuming used Leica cameras because otherwise it wouldn't make much sense. Yeah. <laughs> so they've, they have a huge building all only for that exhibit f- divided in separate rooms. Each room was dedicated to a particular photographer and each room had different colored walls and th- there were a bunch of pictures arranged on the walls in beautiful frames. It was just impressive. And again, this is something that I don't think I can do justice by explaining it. So I'll try to upload some pictures to a Flickr album by tomorrow so that you guys can see it when you listen to this if you want to. But it was just breathtaking.
1: Yeah, I mean you you shared some of those photos with me earlier and I I mean it looks like a museum art gallery that's just popped up in the middle of a of a conference. It's it's unbelievable and of course the the photographic talent that they're putting on display is unparalleled, right? I mean it's it's Leica and they not only do they make great products but i as a company they have a a culture um that is so in tune with photography as an art form i mean they they really know how to curate photographs and photographers and you know if anyone's going to to put together this kind of gallery they they're certainly the most qualified i think um and it and it looks like they've succeeded i was so i was blown away by that um that wall uh, and you said it was bruce gilden's work where there's just like 6 foot tall portraits of of people's faces and they're just unbelievable they're so striking
0: yeah yeah and and they were all unmistakably the work of the same photographer, which is not always easy to convey in, a, in, a, in an art exhibition. Yeah, and they were all incredibly unique. So that to get both things in the same uh, exhibit, I think is remarkable. Absolutely. And this is if there's a company like you were saying, if there's a company that can do this, is it, it, it is like because they just say to hell with uh, the the never ending technology, uh, obsession with upgrading every year. We care about timeless things. We care about art. We care about, we care about creating objects that you can use to do things like this
1: across generations.
0: Exactly. And that's a message that, I mean, who can argue with that, right?
1: Yeah, no one really. And, and honestly, it's, um it's a little reassuring to me to see them putting i mean just as a marketing move this is uh is amazing because a lot of people have been a little concerned about uh recent Leica products and uh we we were recently marveling at the uh the like sofort or whatever it is they're they're basically rebranding fuji's instax um and getting into that like they've they've made a few um maneuvers as a company that that we're somewhat skeptical of and uh, this is really like just a clear message that they they have not forgotten their roots they have not forgotten what makes like admirable and unique in the photographic world and by the way what a bold move it is to make a statement like this in a trade show that is so dedicated to the rat race of yearly upgrades and technological improvements and on and on and on right like they they're the ones that are saying you know what Meanwhile, let's remember that this is all about the photographs and here's a selection of the kinds of photographs where we're really celebrating the work of the photographer, the artistry and the craftsmanship that's gone into the photograph. It's not about the technology. Yes, of course, they shot with our cameras and imagine that there's a correlation there, but <laughs> but it's about the photographs. And I think that's a very smart move on their yeah, part. Yeah.
0: And I, for one, couldn't be happier that I found that it was almost by chance. I mean, I planned to go to the Leica stand, but this is not the Leica stand, it's a level above. And I only saw it by 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 chance, like I said. And it was towards the end of the day, and it was I think the perfect day. The perfect way to end it to end the day. End Certainly the day. sounds like it. Yeah. I spent almost an hour there because I was just blown away. I had to see everything. It's like visiting a museum. Yeah. So having now gone through
1: and, and seen presumably most of what the show has to offer, um, I figured because it's our last episode that's focused on Photokina, I would ask you who you think won the show in terms of making the biggest splash or making the most meaningful announcement or really just whose exhibit was the most memorable to you. You know, who, who won Photokina 2016?
0: Well, those are all different questions, actually, because depending on what criteria you select that the answer might change. Well, give me different answers then. Okay. In terms of the biggest splash, I have to give that to Fuji. Right. Because the GFX was the sensation of the week. And that's no understatement. Like, I've been trying to get my hands on it for two days and I wasn't able to, but I wasn't the only one. I mean, uh, Tony Northrup and Chelsea Northrup also tried to get their hands on it and they couldn't make it. Uh, which kind of makes me feel a little bit better about myself, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not trying to be yeah. mean or anything because I, I, I love them. But it, it it's sort of a consolation to see that I wasn't the only one who was denied access. Yeah,
1: I think that um the, the Digital Rev TV guys got yeah, access. But other than that, I haven't seen anybody with hands on time.
0: Well, the guys from the camera store TV did as well.
1: Oh, did they? Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, they did. They did. Uh, so anyway... Uh, it's been very, very restricted access to to, the, to that camera. That's the only the only uh, problem that I've had with Fuji this week. But other than that, yeah, the, their biggest splash is is the GFX, absolutely. And then in terms of the most uh, meaningful contribution, the most meaningful improvement year year over year, or I'm not sure. I think I'm going to give it to Olympus. Okay. The M1 Mark II seems to be just what everybody hoped for and more, and that's not easy because the the bar was set pretty high with right. the M1 Mark One, which was already a, an excellent camera. Yeah, and after three years of innovation or, and, and and you know development, people were almost asking for everything, <laughs> and and they got it. So I, I have to say, well done to Olympus. I think they are also. Uh, Definitely one of the highlights of the week. Uh, As for the disappointments, I'm going to have to go with Sony. But that was expected, I would say. They have released an excellent camera in the A99 Mark II, but there haven't been any e-mount announcements, uh, which is kind of a shame uh, for me personally, because I'm an e-mount user, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah. But
0: that was expected because Sony usually likes to have the attention all to themselves when they announce something big. So I haven't I haven't ruled out the possibility that we will see an announcement from them before the end of the year. Uh possibly even as soon as next month. So right. we'll have to stay tuned for that to see what yep. they to see what they come up with. And then what else is there? Canon for me has been unremarkable for the most part. I mean, they've been here. They've released interesting new products, but it's sort of same thing, same thing, you know? Same old, same old. Uh, so good, solid progress, but nothing overly exciting. And the big, big, big dis- disappointment is Nikon. They The only thing they've announced is three new action cameras. Right, yeah. The Key Mission series, which are nice, I guess. Uh, of course, they are not really within our scope. So I didn't really pay much attention to them, and I think they've released another APS-C DSLR, an improved version of the D3300, I think it is. Yeah,
1: that's right. I was reading something about that earlier.
0: Uh, Yeah, and they had some NFC features that were demoed to us during the press tour, but there was nothing too noteworthy there, so I never even bothered coming back, to be Mm. honest. And that's a disappointment. I was expecting more from them this week absolutely yeah
1: i mean all that sounds fair i i think i would tend to agree with your um assessment in terms of biggest splash and and, and most impressive progress and, and things like that um i think that uh, we all owe you a big thank you for actually going to the show and bringing back all of this amazing hands-on information that we would not have been able to do otherwise um you know it's it's amazing for us to be able to share that but also You know, it's just exciting because you get to play with all the new toys (laughs) and meet a whole bunch of cool people. Well, for me, it's been very exciting. I can tell you that. Yeah. So we are going back to our uh, quote unquote regularly scheduled programming um, from here on in. Um, But uh, we want to thank you, of course, for listening and for bearing with us as we sent out this flurry of episodes this week. Uh, We hope you found them interesting and valuable. Uh, If you did, um, we haven't reminded you in a little while, but we do still really love iTunes ratings. Absolutely. Remember iTunes? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So if you get a moment, do pop into iTunes. Just leave us a little comment. It'll make us happy. It'll make iTunes happy, and it helps the show grow. Um, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys next week, and uh, hopefully by then we'll have some more uh, refined impressions, because of course as the news cycle catches up to all of the details and corrections and things like that, um, we're probably going to have a whole bunch of follow-up, and eventually we'll get to another real non-gear-related photography topic as well.
0: Here's hoping.